so several years ago, man, I, I guess it was, I don't know, six or seven years ago, maybe closer to 10. Time flies when COVID-19 is going on. But my brother bought this house, okay? And it was a dump. I think he paid like $30,000 for this house. And it, it needed so much work on it. When you walked in, I remember there was a hole in like, I think it was a living room floor. You could see the dirt. Uh, you, the, the back of the house used to be a, a porch, but they had built a kitchen into that porch and the kitchen was falling off the back of the house. Like it was in bad shape. The electrical was terrible. The plumbing was bad. You get the picture. It was a bad house, but he bought it to kind of, you know, rebuild it and eventually flip it. And that was his goal with that. So he had a bunch of us over there. Uh, I specifically remember a series of days that were just demolition day. If you've ever done demolition, it's a, it's a blast. Okay. It's a blast. You're just out there. We had to tear out everything. Walls down to the studs. We had most of the floor down to the joists because stuff had to be sistered up. I learned the word sister during that project. I, you had to go in and, and tear out some electrical, tear out all the plumbing, everything. But probably one of my favorite moments was I was in the bathroom and I had a, a big hammer, like a sledgehammer. And I was just busting up the tub and just tearing up the toilet and breaking out the sink. Like I know there's probably a better way to do that, but there's not a more fun way to do that. That's the way you do that. And then we were just throwing stuff out the window. It, we, were, we were like kids in a china shop with no parents. I mean, just like break everything and nobody can stop us. It was such a fun project. Now, the cool thing was I got to get in my car and leave. My brother had to stay and like finish building his house. Uh, but we used a lot of tools during that process. I mean, we used a lot of tools because we had to rebuild, the, put the, the, the roof back on. We had to put all kinds of things, electrical stuff, plumbing stuff, like I said. But what would you think, and there's some people in the room who are curious if anybody's got an idea, what would you think was the most valuable tool we had? Most valuable, hammer, good guess. Most valuable tool we had was the giant dumpster he rented in the backyard because there was so much garbage. I mean, we filled that thing up to the brim and overflowing, and I think he had to have it dumped and have another one brought back. I tell that story this morning, one, to celebrate that my brother did finish that house, and it's worth like, I don't know, five times more than what he put in it, and he's got it for sale right now in Elizabeth City, so if you know someone who needs a house in Elizabeth City, I know a guy, um, just let me know, but, but also because we're kicking off this new teaching series, as you can see, Under Construction under construction. It's actually going to be kind of a mini-series. It's two weeks, and uh, it's going to be about the process of God tearing us down and building us back up, because that's really what has to happen in our lives. And a big part of that process is us getting in our life and dragging out the trash and taking it to the dumpster. We've got to get it, got to get it out of us. There's a word for that, and I want to kind of paint this word picture for you today, this, uh, this metaphor of the dumpster, because the word that we see in the Bible most often that I want us to remember is repentance. Repentance. What does it mean to repent? It's kind of a churchy, religious word. What does it mean, and how do we do it? This morning in our kids' moment, Bethel did a great job of talking about repentance. She used the analogy of, of like, uh, Danny, man, you were a champ up there with your, band, your Band-Aid, and it's, and it's cut knee, and you've got to get the, the germs out. What would you call them? The yuckies? I forgot what she called them. Like the, the grossies or something? You've got to get those things out because the healing can't take place unless you get rid of, of that mess in, inside. And she used the concept of saying, I'm sorry. You know, that's a very basic idea of understanding. What does it mean to kind of change my mind about what I want to do? I want to build on that for the rest of this morning. And I want to talk about what is more, what do we do beyond the words? If you've ever had a sibling that you got in a fight with as a kid and, and your parents said, say, I'm sorry, you know good and well that you can just say, I'm sorry. I mean, sorry, you know, peace. Like you can just say that. It doesn't mean that you, you own it and that something's changed inside of you. It's got to be about a change of our heart. 
And when it comes to repentance towards God and towards others, it's the change in a heart that leads to a change in our actions. And it's actually a cycle that we go through. Like you've got to repent every day. You don't just repent once. Like I became a Christian, I repented, and then I went on and did whatever I was doing. No, you got, it's a cycle. The word repentance, the concept of repentance is huge in God's word. If you look through the Bible, the word repent or repentance or some form of that word is used over 100 times. I didn't count them myself. There's like books and I read those and they said that. But you can try to go count. It's a lot of times. It's everywhere. It is the primary message of every single Old Testament prophet. Like they come out, they come from God and they're like, guys, repent. Turn back to God. When Jesus got his ministry started, I memorized his whole first sermon. You know what it was? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's, that's the message of Jesus. Turn your hearts back to God. Change your actions by changing your heart. When you look at Peter, when he preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, this is the first day of the church, okay? This is the first sermon ever preached for the church. You know what his message was? Everyone, he, he talked about Jesus. He talked about the crucifixion. The crowd says, well, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, well, you should repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, repentance is a big deal to God. And you know, it's funny because the things that divide our denominations and the, and the separations between the church, there, there are so many like little doctrines that we get into. I don't think any of us are divided over repentance, but also we don't spend a lot of time talking about it. And it might be the biggest thing that separates us from God. So what I want to do this morning is kind of two-part, okay? I, I want to talk about what I'm just going to call the cycle of repentance. I don't know if it's like, you know, the, the, the end-all, be-all of cycles of repentance, but it's going to be kind of three steps that we need to go through all the time as we're reviewing, like, what's my heart towards God? And then in the end, just very quickly, I have what I'm just going to call three tips for repenting, things that you can do, things that I've learned from my life uh, that, that, that we can apply to, heart, uh, to help change our hearts towards God. And so let's get into that cycle, okay? So we're going to be all over the Bible. We're going to be several different places. I think the first place we're looking is 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. So if you want to go over and flip over there, you can be there. But just hang with me. We're going to be looking at a couple different places in the Bible. The first kind of step of this cycle is this. We need to acknowledge what separates us from God. That's our first thing. We need to acknowledge it. What, this is about taking responsibility for my sin. Like I see that I messed up and that's my mess and I need to clean it up. Acknowledging the things that separate us from God, more specifically, we're talking about sin. But what's interesting is that in our culture, even in uh, modern American Christianity even, we tend to do the opposite when it comes to sin. We don't acknowledge it and take responsibility for it. Instead, we tend to justify it. Or we tend to be like, well, we're not as bad as that person. Or we tend to make excuses for it. Well, the reason that we do this and that is because of this or that. Or we even, you know, we sweep it under the rug. We ignore our sin. But God wants us to acknowledge our sin. If we ignore it, if we justify it, if we make excuses for it, I mean, that's, that's akin to like a 15-year-old boy who, after basketball practice, goes to the locker room, and instead of taking a shower to get all the funk off of him, you know, he just puts on another layer of deodorant, another squirt of, of Axe body spray. And if you're a parent of a teenager, you know that doesn't work. Or if you need to look at your husband right now and be like, see, I told you, even the preacher said you need to take a shower. Like, it's, you can't just cover it up. It's nasty. For, to use the building analogy, we're talking about, you know, my brother's house and the dumpster, and that's where I want to kind of keep our mind. If you've ever had a landlord and you've reported a problem to them, hey, uh, yeah, the, leak, the roof is leaking. Yeah, it's leaking in the kitchen. You sure it's leaking? Yes, I'm positive it's leaking. It's raining outside. It's leaking in the kitchen. It shouldn't be, oh, I'll fix that. And then they come out and they put some, sh you know, some shoddy patch on it. And they come out with a, a gun with some tar and they, and they put a tarp on top of it. And yeah, it might slow down the leaking, but it, 
It didn't get to the root of the problem. And if you're a homeowner and you've dealt with a piece of that, and you're like, oh man, I, I wish somebody would have just dealt with this a long time ago. That's the idea of acknowledging and taking responsibility of my sin. The same can be said as we look to God and we say, that's, that's my sin. That's my problem. I take responsibility for that. Now, I want to take a, a moment to clarify something because throughout the New Testament especially, what we learn is that God gives us forgiveness of our sins and salvation and the gift of eternal life and the Holy Spirit. He gives us all of that for free. Okay, it's his grace. His grace, which is his ability to give us something that we can't afford and we can't pay back. He gives us that. We can't earn that. Repentance is not like paying God off for his salvation. Repentance is our response to that grace. Because God is so good, man, I just, I want to honor him. Like, I want to do better. I want to drag my trash out to the dumpster and do better. And if you've done that in your life, you know that that can be hard. It can be painful. It can be it can be embarrassing. Scripture even talks about that. The Apostle Paul, when he's talking to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, 8 through 10, uh, he actually had called out the Corinthians on some sin in, in a previous letter that he had written to them. And he said, he said listen, uh, I know I probably hurt your feelings when I said that. Sorry, not sorry. Let's check out what he said in verse 8. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now, I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation. And leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. We need to learn to be sorry the way that God is sorry about our brokenness and lead us to a change in our heart. And so that first step uh, in the cycle of repentance is acknowledging the things that are pulling us away from God. What is it for you? You know what your things are. You know what pulls you away from God. You know what causes you to stumble. I know what mine are. But we've got to take responsibility for those things and do our best to start dragging them out to the dumpster. Okay, so that's the first like start of the cycle. What, what next? What next? The next thing we see, you can, you can, I'm going to read you a couple of scripture and we're going to kind of like uh, deduce from the scripture what the next step can be. The first one comes from the wisest person who ever lived, King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Uh, this is what he says in Proverbs 28. He says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Key word there confession. Let's look at another scripture. This is Psalm 32, verse 5. He says, then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. Remember the 15-year-old boy? I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Again, confession. The third one, this is in the New Testament, James chapter 5, verse 16. James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the lesson here is confession. After I've acknowledged my sin, I've taken responsibility, I see the mess, I need to get that out of me. And a great way to do that is through 
Confession, if you grew up with a Catholic background, you're, you're familiar with the concept of confession. You're going into a place with a person and you're talking to them. I want to take it a step further because I, I don't personally believe that Scripture teaches it has to be a clergy, a priest that you confess to. In fact, that's what James says, confess to each other, to anybody. So, but I, I, I want to respect that, that idea. The idea is when we begin to speak things out loud, our words have power. You know how God created the world? Not with a toolbox. No, he created the world with his words. He simply had words, let there be light. You know what Jesus is called in the book of John? He's called the very word of God that became flesh. Words are powerful. And if you've ever had a dream or a vision or an idea and you spoke it out loud, it gave it life. You're like, wow, I've never said that out loud before. Our words have power. And let me illustrate this. I love my wife. I love her very much. I love my life with my life, my, my life with my wife. I, I love the idea that we share things together, but what if I never told her that? We, we've all seen that Hallmark movie, right? I just wish I would have told you that I loved you, <laughs> and then you went off and got miserable. No, we've got we've to speak our love to people. They need to know that. That's a big thing. And the same thing's true when it comes to repentance towards God. I can see my sin. I can acknowledge the fact that I don't like that in my life, and it's caused me problems. But guess what? God loves to hear from us. He loves it when we're like, Lord, wow, that thing I've been doing, I want to stop. I'm going to stop. This is how I'm going to do it. These are the steps I'm going to take. That conversation. And we also see the idea of, com- uh, of, of um, confession is not just about to God. Confession actually involves other people. That's what James was saying. Confess your sins to each other. There need to be people in your life who have the authority to speak into your sin. People that you trust, people that you've given permission to, who can come in and hold you accountable for stuff. And, and like I said, that's not easy. It's uncomfortable. It's embarrassing. But it can be so powerful. I want to take a second to plug something that we do with our church family called microgroups. Uh, a microgroup, we, we call it, uh, a microgroup is, is three to five people who meet together to grow in their faith. That's, that's all it is. There's no rules to microgroups. There is a PDF I could send you if you're interested. Shoot me a message, leave one on Facebook, uh, and I could get you the message. It's kind of a guide, some basic questions that can get you started on some good topics and some good ideas. But the idea is not about what you say, but it's about the intentionality of that you're doing it. I actually am in two groups that are very much microgroups to me. One that's a microgroup from church. Two other men that I meet with here from our church, and we've been doing it for years now. I mean, four or five years now. It's great. You build that communication, and we try our best to meet uh, often. We actually meet over video conferencing now. We use Marco Polo app, and we talk almost every day, uh, and other times we've met in person. And, and my other group is a group of friends from college, and we get together a couple times a year. We also talk almost every day on texting. And yeah, it's fun, and there's friendships, and but the opportunity to confess to those groups and the opportunity for them to speak back into you and to give them the authority to speak into the sin in my life, that's what confession does for you. It speaks to life the change that you want to happen in your heart. And so I, I want to encourage you to, to be in a group like that, to be transparent and vulnerable with somebody, and, uh, and it'll help you in your walk with God. And it'll help you drag that stuff to the dumpster. Because I can't tell you how many times I've said to one of my guys or I've said to them or they've said to me, and it's like, you know what, you need to drag that to the dumpster. You know, <laughs> that, needs, that needs to go. It's not helping you. So moving on from that, that's, that's the idea of confession. And so we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to take responsibility. We need to confess it, get it out. And then the third step, I'm, I'm just going to call it this, ask for forgiveness. And this is kind of a vague thing, so it can mean a lot of different things. Like, like I said already, sometimes words, you know, are not enough. You can't just say sorry sometimes. It just doesn't mean anything. 
So let me offer a, a, another thought when it comes to you asking for forgiveness. Whether you're asking from God, whether you're asking to an individual, maybe to a group. I mean, if you sinned against a group, your family or people at work, you need, you need to get that out to all of them. But that after you say, I'm sorry, or will you please forgive me? Here's my thought. Stop and wait for a response. This is about humbling myself so that I can make sure I have fully digested the heart change I want to have. I've seen my kids get in an argument. Tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Boom, he's gone, you know? But then I've seen other times when my kids have really been convicted about a thing that they've done. I'm like, you know what? I've been thinking about this, and I'm really sorry. I want to change. You know, I want to do different. And there's this pause, and there's this humility. And so I guess the piece I want to add to that say you're sorry part is humility. Pause and wait for a response. Because as we do that, something beautiful begins to happen. It begins to make room for that person and for God to come back into our life. And the stuff has been dragged out to the trash, and then rebuilding can happen. Now, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. That's actually kind of the topic. What, what does the rebuilding look like? But let me just take a second to talk about forgiveness because there's two sides to the forgiveness table. You've probably been on both sides. There's the side you're sitting on when you're like, I need to ask you to forgive me. Now, what are you hoping that person will do? You hope that they will extend grace to you, right? This is a reminder that if you are a believer in Jesus and you're trying to follow him, Jesus commands us that we need to forgive others. So when you're on the other side of that table and someone says, I need you to forgive me, dig deep and ask yourself, how can I show them the same grace that God has showed me? Right. So that, that, that's the little side note about forgiveness. Let's make sure it goes both ways and let's make sure, you, you can't always determine how they're gonna respond. Will you forgive me? They might say, heck no. But it's your responsibility to do what you can to make it right. Um, so that, that's kind of the full picture. Now we've seen the, a cycle now, okay? Now I want to like, uh, take a second and look at a story that involved Jesus. This is kind of a short little story. It's a big deal though, where we see the full cycle of repentance happening. And I hope it will reframe a Bible story for you guys today. Maybe you've got a certain image of this story. We're going to be in Luke now. Luke is one of the uh, biography, biographies of the life of Jesus. And in chapter 19, so they're near the end, Luke chapter 19, Jesus finds himself in the middle of a story of a, with a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, you might already have some preconceived notions about Zacchaeus. Some of them may be true, some of them not. Uh, but I, I want to read the story with a, with a brand new perspective. Okay, read it for the first time, and then let's talk about it. And, and think about repentance with you. Hear this. Luke 19, starting at verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I think that's awesome, by the way. I don't believe that Jesus had already met Zacchaeus. I think he just used his, his Jesus powers and said, I know your name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Now, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, and they're talking about Jesus. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said, look, Lord, here and now, I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. That's a lot of interest. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house 
Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus' nickname for himself. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. He's like, I'm here for people like Zacchaeus. Now, what preconceived notions do you have about Zacchaeus? If you grew up uh, in Sunday school or coming to church, you might know the old Sunday school uh, song. And so you guys help me out if you know it. You probably know that Zacchaeus was a... He was a wee little man, right? He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Don't forget that. If I was Zacchaeus, I would be really upset about that. Like, do I, I did other things. I did other things. So what? I was a short guy. Um, I think that we should rethink this story. And I think the song should be changed. I, I think it should be Zacchaeus. This won't flow off the tongue. But Zacchaeus was a repentant little man. He was a little man. I mean, it says so. So why not call it? He was a repentant little man. And a repentant little man was, did you see what he did? He saw his sin, and he took responsibility for it. If you don't know about tax collectors back in the first century, especially Roman tax collectors living in the, the, the Jewish region around Jerusalem, they had a bad reputation. They were known as being cheaters and liars and thieves, just, just universally. In fact, there was a kind of a euphemism they used. They were like, Jesus hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. Like that, there's sinners and then there's tax collectors. Okay, you follow me? And what kind of tax collector was it? It said he was the chief tax collector, okay? So this is the reputation Zacchaeus had. But he met Jesus, and it changed his heart. So he acknowledged his sin. He took responsibility for it, the confession piece. He said, listen, if I have cheated anybody, not only will I pay them back, I'll pay them back four times what I cheated them. And in asking for forgiveness, he said, listen, I'm going to give away half of what I have to the poor. Now, was Zacchaeus perfect after that? Probably not. Probably not. If I know anything about humans, probably not. But the cycle began, and he drug the dumpster out by the house, and he began taking things out because he wanted to make way for this new relationship he could have with Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. And it says this, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul's there. Renewing of your mind. That's the same thing as a changed heart, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a different anatomy analogy, but the renewing of your mind, the changing of your heart, it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the changing of your heart, and then you'll be able to know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like when we can begin to have our mind transformed because we're pushing the ways of this world off to the side, we're taking them out to the dumpster, God can begin to work in us and grow in us and turning our hearts to God is something that has to happen every day. I accepted Jesus for the first time when I was nine years old. I was baptized that week. It was a big day for me. But guess what? The worst sin of my life happened after that. I repented from, you know, pushing my brother down. Yay. But then when I was in high school and I was in college and now I'm getting close to 40, man, life happens, right? And you've got to continue every day to look through the house and be like, I need to drag this to the dumpster, drag that to the dumpster, because God, I want you in here. I don't want that in here. And again, this is just the first half of the teaching that we have on this. I'm excited. Next week, Patrick Harrison is going to be coming back up here, and he's going to be talking about kind of the second half. What does it mean to pour into ourselves with what God has so that he can build into us? But I love today the subject of repentance, and this is why. No matter where you are on the spectrum of your walk with God, no matter where you are, repentance is relevant. You've been a Christian for 50 years? Guess what? You probably need to repent. There's probably some things you need to continue to cycle through and sift through and filter out. You're just hearing this message for the very first time today? Guess what? That's the call. Turning your heart back to God. And it might start by dragging out the big things. But the longer we're in it, 
We start to, it's called sanctification. That's the process of becoming Christ-like, you know? And you're slowly working it out. Again, we're saved by his grace. We're not saved by our ability to drag our junk to the dumpster. We're saved by God's grace. He goes, I see what you're trying to do there. I respect that. You've asked Jesus to be your savior. You've been obedient. Let's do this thing. But as a response to that, we repent. And that's the cycle. That's the cycle we go through. Now, I told you I was going to give you three, three quick tips for doing this in your life every day. And, and they're pretty simple, but there's just some things that you can put into you. So I hope if you're a note taker, this will be some good things to write down. Uh, these are ways that I personally found to make repentance real for me. And I've bounced them off a lot of people. And, and, and it's, they're pretty universal. The first one is this. When it comes to repentance, don't try to do it alone. Don't do it alone. We were created to live in community. You don't have to do this by yourself. I shared with you about my, my two groups of guys that I'm, I allow them to speak and have authority over the sin in my life and I'm allowed to talk into their life. We don't have to do this by ourselves. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, classic scripture. It says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another and one woman sharpens another. The idea is that we've got to kind of clash together a little bit. <laughs> we've got to butt heads a little bit. We've got to be in each other's life and sometimes in each other's face to sharpen one another. I want to help you. Let, let me get in your life. So that's the idea. Don't do it alone. The second thing, we already read this, James, 15, or James 5, verse 16. Again, James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. That idea of community, of togetherness, so that you may be healed. Don't do it alone. So who, who's your group? Who are the people? Right now, you have total permission to just stop watching and text somebody. Be like, hey, can we get coffee this week? Can we get a phone call? Can we do a FaceTime? And, and just say, listen, I, we did this sermon at church today, and I just want to take some steps. Can, can you help me? And my guess is they'll be like, yeah, I'd like you to help me too. That's the first one. Don't do it alone. Second one, use God's word as a standard. Use God's word as a standard. Um, when it comes to cleaning out our lives, it's important to have a, a standard to compare it to. And it reminds me of like when COVID-19 first started, I thought we were all pretty good at washing our hands. I thought. Didn't you? I thought we were good at it. We learned how to wash our hands. But then uh, one of my favorite YouTubers is a guy named Mark Rober. Mark Rober did this, uh, this experiment with an elementary age class. And he took this powder and he put it on some of their hands. And it was a powder that could only be seen in black light. Okay? And, so, and, he, and I, don't, I don't remember exactly how he got the powder on some of the kids' hands. We said, listen, all right, guys, we're going to do an experiment. We'll see how good you can wash your hands. Everybody go wash your hands. So everybody washed their hands. And then he just let them play and do school and everything. And then time out, game's over. He turned off the light. He turned on the black light. And he said, let's see if you washed your hands good. They had no idea, I don't think, that the powder was on there. And that powder was everywhere. It was on every table. It was on everybody's face, people's faces who didn't even have the stuff on before. It's like, how did this get on my face? Like, we thought we knew how to wash our hands, but because we were comparing it to an old standard, apparently you need to sing happy birthday like six times. And that's how you wash your hands, because you weren't as clean as you thought you were. And when it comes to a standard of cleanliness in our life, if we start holding ourselves up to other people, we're like, well, at least I'm not that bad. Or we're like, you know what? I get all my God from my walks on the beach. I, living in Wilmington, and I, I might be calling you out right here if, this, if you've ever said this to me, I didn't judge you, but I did remember because I've said the same kind of stuff. Like, you know what? You know why I don't do church? The beach is my church. The woods is my church. We're not supposed to do it alone. And also, we aren't getting a standard of where we should be. And so if we're getting our standard of our righteousness from I listen to positive music and I listen, I listen to K-Love, so that's what I'm there. Or like, you know, I've got a motivational poster in my office and it's got a Bible verse in the bottom. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, that's great. I'm not slamming that. What I'm saying is our standard is off. 
And then when you open the word of God, you realize, oh, wow, the depth to which this isn't about conviction and, and, and like making anybody feel guilty. This is about me going, I get to pursue God. I get to invite him in, and we see the standard in God's word. I love in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us that the word of God is alive and active. It's living and active. That idea that when I open God's word, it will teach me where I am. And I've seen this in my own life. I love that it continues and says that the, the Bible, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. God's word will help us keep our heart in check. Let's adjust the standard. Okay, so we want to not do it alone. We want to use God's word as a standard. And the last thing is this. I'm going to let, uh, I'm going to let uh, King Solomon say it again. We're going to get it out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He says this, Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. The third idea, the third tip is guard your heart. Guard your heart. Our flesh gravitates towards weakness and sin. And these things will pull us away from God. And you know what yours is. I know what mine is. That's the taking responsibility part. And if we allow those things to come into our life, it will destroy us. That's what this looks like, okay? A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, my wife rented one of those uh, carpet cleaners, the shampooers, okay? She shampooed our whole carpet. It was it was awesome and disgusting. If you've ever shampooed your carpet, you're like, we must be filthy people. This is the water that comes out of those things is so pitch black. And you're like, I thought we cleaned our house, right? But you clean it, you clean it. It's really good. And afterwards, it was funny. We were like laying in the living room floor, like making snow angels face down. Like, this is good, you know, because your, your, your carpet's so clean. Okay. And that's the cleanliness. That's what we're going for. Okay. But then the next day, we're going to walk on the carpet again, right? Like this isn't like hover room. We're going to walk on this carpet. But we get home. My son and I have been at football practice. I coach. He plays. He's got his muddy cleats on. I've got my shoes on. And when we get to the door, my wife stops, my wife stops us like this. None shall pass. You know, do not come in here with those shoes on. Take your shoes off at the door. Now, eventually, we're going to get the carpet dirty again. But there's a picture I want you to see in that. We have got to stop the sin at the door. We've got to guard our hearts. We've got to know what's coming in our ears and through our eyeballs. Because we're just letting stuff wash in the house every day. It doesn't matter what you drag out to the dumpster. It's still going to get tracked through again. And so we've got to set up these safeguards we got to say, I'm not going to watch these type of TV shows. I'm going to give up on this Netflix series. I've been having this conscious thing in the back of my head. I just need to stop. The world will go on if I don't watch the rest of this series. There's this website I've been frequencing. I need to stop going there. There are people that I've been spending time with. i got to stop doing it. i got this addiction that's just hurting my life and my family. Guard your heart. Don't, you don't have to be Superman. You don't have to step in the way, but I can take this. I can do it all day long. Guard your heart. I once heard this phrase. I want you to wrestle with this, okay? This, you can wrestle with this as we go today. The phrase was, I'd rather be a wise man than a good man. Wait, I thought the goal was to be a good person. That doesn't seem right. I'd rather be a good person. Here's the thing that I know about my, myself, that if I'm not wise, I'll be both a fool and a bad man. <laughs> but wisdom is highly treasured by God. That's what guarding our heart is about. So don't do it alone. Use God's word as a standard and guard your heart. And as you do this, repentance will begin to change your mind and your actions. And God can move in and do amazing things. Listen, if, if you want to know that salvation that comes from God today, will you please reach out to me? My name is Chris. You can find me on our Facebook page you're watching right now. 
Anybody that's on there is probably willing to talk to you. Uh, talk to a friend and say, listen, I want to turn my heart towards God. I, I'm making this decision right now. Maybe you want to take that step of being baptized into Christ. We can do that. We can do that. The ocean is still great. I baptized people down at Wrightsville Beach in January before. November's no big deal. Or we can go to a heated area. No worries. The idea is to say, I want to give my life over to God. I want to start by acknowledging my sin and letting him take care of it. Let's drag it out to the dumpster so that we can see the fullness of the construction project that God's doing in our lives. Let's pray together.